0: Welcome to the Voice of Victory podcast. The goal of this podcast is to preserve the life and ministry of our late pastor, Dr. Jim Tedder. For 58 years, Dr. Tedder was the pastor of Victory Baptist Church in Shelbyville, Tennessee. We believe the message you're about to enjoy will be a help and an encouragement to you. Thank you so much for listening. And now, here is Dr. Jim Tedder. I had two sermons to preach tonight. One of them is is the title is Five Keys to Success. And surely we all want to be a success in living the Christian life found in the book of Joshua. And then the other sermon is a sermon on sin. And then I looked at that verse of scripture and I looked at this congregation and I thought in my heart, why in the world would I preach the sermon on sin? I don't know, but I learned a long time ago it's best to do what God wants you to do. Instead of what it seems like is right for the occasion. You just do what God wants you to do and then leave the results in the Lord's hands. So tonight, folks, I want to talk with you about the first phrase in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. There it is, for the wages of sin is death. Father, we pause now to lift our voices to you to be heard tonight, to come boldly into the throne of grace, knowing that we can have an audience tonight with our Savior. And, Father, with thee we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we know that that opens up heaven's throne room in a prayer room of glory. And, Father, I ask you tonight that you would empower Jim Tetter. I need you, Lord. I acknowledge that. There's no way that I can deliver what this congregation needs without the blessings of the Lord, without the moving of God in my own heart and life. And then I ask you, Father, that you would meet my needs and meet the needs of this people and help me, Lord, that I can help your people here tonight. And we we acknowledge that. We thank you for the family that you added to the church this morning. We thank you, Father, for the good blessings of this day. We know that you load us down, the Bible said, daily with benefits. And we praise you, Lord, for the benefits of heaven. And But the greatest of all the benefit is the benefit of knowing that we're going to heaven and that we can have a little privilege of taking some folks with us if we do the will of God Witness down here. And I pray tonight that when the service is over, for those that are lost, that they would be saved. And I pray tonight when the service is over that for those Christians that's cold and indifferent, that's flirting with sin, that tonight, Lord, that sin would make them uh, sick at their stomach and sin would cause uh, uh, them to turn and and sing the awfulness of sin, the rottenness of sin, that they could turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and get things right with you. I pray that you would add to your church tonight and get glory and honor out of it, Lord. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, someone told me the other day uh, about the herpes, the new venereal disease that's that's going almost rampant, it seems like, in our country. And, and uh, this is, this is a, a very odd venereal disease. You see, God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Amen? Thou shalt not commit adultery. People have laughed and scoffed at God and started committing adultery on the wholesale level, it seems like. And of saying that I don't I don't need God to tell me how to live. Uh, we've got the old humanistic philosophy, the situation ethics, that says whatever feels right and looks right at that opportunity, then go ahead and do it. And uh, that's invaded not only our public and government schools and our colleges, uh, but that's invaded our homes through means of television, radio. That's invaded our society by means of, of just what society is accepting today. Well, there's a new strand of venereal disease that's not, you, it's not cured like the rest of the venereal disease are. It's it's uh, so potent that uh, they say that, uh, that well, there's no cure for it. And and I was talking the other day to someone, and they said that uh, uh, it, it's hereditary. It passes on from one, one, one generation to another. Uh, the children take it, and then they pass it on. And then the next children get it, and then they pass it on. I'm going to ask you something, folks, with adultery and and, uh, uh, what they call free love and God calls wicked fornication and adultery, as rampant as it is in our nation, how long is it going to be before this nation is infested? Uh, It's very contagious. Very, 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 very contagious uh, herpes. It's it's different from the other venereal disease. Uh, I'm thinking like this. Uh, How would you like to... uh, uh, every every one of us in Victor Baptist have the same toothbrush. That's gaggy, doesn't it? I mean, just just think about that. Man told me one time. He said the biggest waste of money in the in, in is buying toothbrushes. I said, what do you mean? He said every member of the family order to brush their teeth with the same brush. I said, my soul, fella, it's enough to gag you. But now wait a minute. He said, uh, you go out to restaurant and eat, don't you? And I said, yeah. He said, how many miles do you think that fork's been in? It's going to happen you mark it down you mark it i got thought i got thinking about that i said i'm going to take one silverware from now on but listen listen you mark it down folks jesus our lord said in the latter days it's going to be pestilence pestilence brother that pestilence is disease you look it up that pestilence means disease with no cures for it and we're going to see that happen and it could be that this this beginning of the, herp- the, the uh, herpes uh, venereal disease, it could be that that's the beginning of pestilence. This, the tribulation period is going to see the fulfillment of Brother, that's the reason. Be pure. Amen? Because sin is a hissing monster. I've said this before, and let me say it again. You can't say sin unless you hear the hiss of the serpent sin. Did you hear it? The hiss of the serpent. Sin. Sin. You can't look at the word sin unless you see the shape of the serpent. There's the shape of the serpent. And you can't write the word sin unless you see a big eye right in the middle of it. And you know what? That pretty much sums up the word sin, doesn't it? The hiss of the serpent the shape of the serpent, and I am right in the middle of it. And i said this, and I'll keep on saying it, the biggest enemy that Jim Tetter has is himself. I am my worst enemy. I'm the fellow that causes me to get in the biggest mess that ever was. And when people are challenged to hide their sin, it's just a byproduct of an even grosser sin. Now let me run that by you again. There's folks, there's two things that we can do with sin. We can confess it and forsake it and obtain the mercies of God. Or we can hide it and it'll just produce more sin. That's all it does. So that's the reason God says, get the thing out in the open. Get it under the blood. Take care of it. Sin can be covered, but sin cannot be hidden. Now let me say that again. Your sin can be covered, but your sin cannot be hidden. I know some folks that think different on that. I, I know some folks did that I believe with all my soul they're trying to cover or trying to hide their own sin. And you can't do that, folks. And tonight I'm just want to look at many kinds of sin that's listed in the Bible. And as I go down through this list and I'm I'm going to give you some scripture. But I'm not going to turn there and read it all, and I'm going to give you some references. And if you'd like to turn in your Bible and read those references, uh, I wish you'd write the scriptures down, and you can later do this. First of all, people sin as Cain sin in a secret, in a secret time, or in a secret place. Genesis chapter 4, verses 8, 9, and 10 tells about the secret sin of Cain. You know that story, and I'm just going to run it by you real quickly. He got jealous of his brother. And he decided that uh, God ought to have accepted his turnips and watermelons and cucumbers and what have you just as easily as God accepted the blood sacrifice of Abel. Now folks, you listen to me. The very first principle that laid out in the word of God concerning sin is that there's only one way to satisfy God, and that's through the shedding of blood. Now that eliminates first and forever human works. And the plan of salvation. Here's here's Abel brought the blood. God accepted it and God was pleased. Here was Cain that brought an offering that was a lot more, uh, as far as monetary value was concerned, probably more valuable than Abel's lamb. Here was Cain bringing something that he had poured his life into, he had sweated, he had worked, he had got some calluses on his hands, his back had hurt, and he had spent many hours laboring in the soil to bring forth this fruit, and he brought it and gave it to God, and God said, I despise that, because that's nothing more than human works, and there's no blood in it, and the scripture said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now the Bible said these two boys came together somewhere, these two men came together somewhere uh, to to offer up their sacrifice. And when Cain saw that God had respect for Abel's sacrifice and rejected him, the Bible said that he got mad, rose up in a fit of anger, and slew his brother, and committed the first secret sin as far as trying to cover it up and hide it was concerned. He killed Abel. And the scripture says that God began to speak to Cain and said, Thy brother's blood crieth out for vengeance from the ground. What is this that you've done? And Cain looked back and said to God, Am I my brother's keeper? That sin was committed in secret. But that sin was brought to the surface. Because it's God's will that sin always surfaces. Did you hear what it said? Okay. There's some folks that sin like Cain in secret, but yet the sin is brought out. There's other folks that's like Esau. They sin in a moment of weakness. The Scripture tells us about Esau in the 12th chapter of Hebrews, verses 16 and 17. The Bible said two things about Esau. He was a profane person, and he was a uh, uh, fornicator. And the Scripture tells how that he came home one day from a hunt, and he was very hungry. And uh, there was uh, his brother, uh, Was uh, I said a bowl of beans, uh, the scripture says pottage, I think, and he was making this little meal, and, and he came over to uh, Jacob and said, give me something to eat, and, and Jacob said, I'll give you something to eat if you'll sell me your birthright. Now in a moment's time, like that, he didn't intend on doing that, in a moment's time, in a moment's of weakness, he sinned against his own birthright, and the Bible said he sold it. For a bowl of beans, for a bowl of pottage. Later on in life, Esau made up his mind, I want my inheritance. And the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 16 and 17, he could not repent, though he, thought, he, he sought repentance and he sought a, a, a reversal of that decision, the Bible said, with, with tears. But he found no place for repentance. is that a sight? He was a sin that was committed in a moment of weakness. That's, oh, listen to me. It doesn't take you six months to get in a backslidden condition. We studied that this morning. Our Savior said, I'll come unto thee quickly and I'll remove the candlestick from out of his place, except you repent. Jesus said, one moment you can be on fire for God and the next moment you can be in the camp of the devil. And you know, one of the most heartbreaking things that I have to contend with as a pastor is seeing God's dear people get in the devil's camp. That's sad. And boy, I can tell, I can tell when they start toward Egypt, when they start toward the world, when they start toward compromise, it shows, it begins to show. They begin to let down just a little bit here and just a little bit there. More times than not, they'll stop supporting missionaries. Secondly, they stop tithing. Then they stop Wednesday night service. And then they stop Sunday night service. And then they reach that point that they think I am doing God a service if I come to church one time a week. That's enough for me. One man's religion. You know, everybody's got a different scale of religion. There's some folks that come to Victory Baptist Church. If they come on Sunday school, Sunday morning, then they've got all the religion they need. There's another group of folks. They're going to come Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then they've done all they're supposed to do. And then there's another group that comes to our church that's going to come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then they've done all they're supposed to do. And then there's another group that's going to come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and go on visitation. Either the Saturday morning visitation or the Thursday night visitation, and then they've done all they're supposed to do. But you listen to me. That's not all that we're supposed to do, child of God. How Christianity ought to get up with us in the morning and go to bed with us tomorrow night. Now Christianity ought to walk every step we walk and go to every place we go and live in our hearts Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as well as on Sunday. Brother, that's the kind of New Testament Christianity that's taught in the book of Acts. Well, here's Esau. In a moment of weakness he compromised, and in a moment of weakness he did something that years later the Bible said he sought it carefully with tears, but he found no place for repentance. He sinned, and his sin caught up with him. Third man I want to talk with you about tonight is is or, or the third people are are Joseph's brothers. Over in the book of Genesis, chapter 41, 21. Genesis, I'm sorry, 42 and 21. 42 21. The, the famine has come in the land of Canaan, and they've come down to buy food from Joseph. You know the story, they'd sold him many, many years before. By the way, some people's sins are like Joseph's brothers. It takes years for that sin to be discovered. Let me say it again. It takes years for that sin to creep out of the closet, but it's going to come out of the closet. Now listen to me. In Genesis chapter 42 and verse 21, the Bible said, and they said one to another, we are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. And we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress come upon us, well, years has come and gone. Watch it. Mark it down. We saw the anguish of a man's soul. You know what they're saying, James? We saw the tears that was in his eyes. We heard him plead with us as he said, don't sell me and don't leave me out here in this pit to die. We saw the anguish of a soul. We heard him as he pled with us and begged us not for selling, but we had not to get his plea. And because of that, years later, this anguish has come upon our soul. I'm persuaded that God makes people remember. I'm persuaded, brother, that when things happen, it might, it might not happen this year, it might not happen next year, it might happen five years, six years, seven years, eight years, ten years, I've gone the future, but when the child of God begins to reap that which is sown, he goes back and he remembers that time of rebellion, that time when he stopped his ears and closed his eyes and looked the other way, as far as the will of God is concerned. But their sins caught up with them. Took them years, but you know what that verse tells me? That tells me that that guilt that was on their soul, they bore it every night. I, 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 you say, Preacher, you're trying to read that in the Bible. Let's read it again. We are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. that we And we uh, that we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress come upon us, we are very guilty. We are very guilty. That's what they were saying each to the other. That's an interesting verse. We're very guilty. I've got an idea that every night, those men, by the way, I, I think God speaks a lot of times at night, don't you? When everybody's quiet, televisions are off, and phones are not ringing, dogs are not barking, sirens are not going off, and people are not knocking on your doors, everybody else in the house is asleep, that's when God usually comes and speaks to us in the silence of the night. And I'm satisfied in my heart that these men would pillow their heads at night, and when the family would go off to sleep, they'd see the expression in Joseph's eyes as he begged them, Don't sell me and don't let me die. They'd hear those haunting words of their brother as it came out of that, of that empty world and as he pled with them. And they said, Fellas, let's admit it. We're guilty. Very guilty. We've rebelled against God back yonder years ago. Now our sins has found us out. There's different kinds of sins. There's Achan's sin. It was well covered, you know. In in Joshua chapter seven and verse twenty-one, he said, "I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid." Those are the four adverbs that he used to describe his action. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. Those those were the four degrading steps of sin. Oh, how many sins. Let me go, let me talk to you again. How many sins are committed with the eye? The first step was that he looked on something that God had forbidden him to look on. God said, you leave. He told Joshua, you tell the people, don't you take out of Jericho any of that accursed stuff. You destroy every bit of it. And then here Achan was. I saw that piece of gold. I saw this good garment. I saw the silver. And then I coveted it. And then I took it. And then I brought it home. And I digged the hole. And I hid it. And I covered it up. Oh, you listen to this preacher. The worst sin that Achan committed was the fact that he covered it up. If he would had confessed his sin any time, from the time that he saw unto the time that he hid it in his house, instead of covering it up, God would have forgiven him. But then God had to chastise the man because of his rebellion. Well some sins are like Achan's sins, they are well covered up, but sooner or later God will bring even the covered up sins out into the open. Some sins are committed like Samson's sin. It was done reluctantly in the book of Judges, chapter 16, verses 6 through 17, the Bible tells how that Delilah was trying to tip Samson to say, uh, how do you get your supernatural strength, where does it come from, and Samson said, with the new ropes, and he said, tie me with the uh, green wits, and and, and, etc., and he used all kinds of illustrations, and She was doing everything that he told her to do and yet uh, the Bible said whenever she would bind him with these new ropes and and she would say, Samson, he would go to sleep and she would say, Samson, the Philistines cometh and he'd just get up and break the ropes and not even know that he'd broken the ropes. Watch what she did, Brother Floyd. Said, Samson, you mock me you don't really love me. If you really love me, then you would do this. Who wonder how many times those words have been heard down through the ages. It's caused some teenagers' heart to be broken. If you would, re- if you really love me, then you would be my partner in sin. If you really love me, if if that's ever happened, girls, listen to me. If that ever happens, some old boy tells you, if you really love me. You you shoot it back to them and say, if you really love me, you wouldn't ask me to sin. If you really love me, you wouldn't ask me to go against the will of God. You wouldn't ask me to go against the word of God if you really love me. Well, I I hope and pray to God that I can get these over to our kids. Did you read the article in, in the little paper that we handed out this morning? The average Jew teaches their children 330 hours, I think it is, in a year's time. The average Roman Catholic teaches their children over 200 hours in a year's time, and the average so-called Protestant teaches their children less than 20 or 30 hours in a year's time. You say, well, Brother Jim, I send my kids to church and to Sunday school. That's not enough. You say, well, I send my kids to church and to Sunday school, and then I send them to Victory Baptist Academy. That's not enough. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? I'm talking about you, daddy, and you, mama, taking the word of God at home and sitting down and talking to those children about Christ. That's the important thing. What you dads and moms do at home is, means a hundred times more to those children than what this preacher does at the pulpit. What you do at home is a hundred times more important than what these teachers do back here in Victory Baptist Academy. You teach them at home. You teach them at home. You say, Brother Jim, I'm going to give them over to you. They're your responsibility. They're the responsibility of that academy. Listen to me. If they go away, it's not my fault and it's not that school's fault because we're going to do everything we can to reach them. Mom and Daddy, are you doing everything you can to reach them? You see? A lot of times we don't want to face up to the responsibility that God places on our shoulders. Samson's sin was done reluctantly, but it was done. Three times, three times before he actually told the old gal the truth, and then finally he told her the truth, and she took the scissors and gave him the haircut. Now, listen to me. Somebody said, Samson's strength was in his hair. I beg your pardon. Samson's strength was in the Holy Spirit of God, and his hair was a sign of his separation. That hair didn't have any strength. It was just a sign of the fact that he'd taken the vow of the Nazarite. That's all. That's all. There was no strength in a man's hair. It is. We'd have some Hercules running around here, wouldn't we? Hair doesn't give you strength. There's no strength in your hair. But there's strength in separation, and that's where Samson's strength was coming from, and the fact that from his mother's womb he was separated. Listen, from his mother's womb, there were several things involved in that. He was separated. Number one, it said a razor would never touch his head. Number two, uh, he would never touch a dead animal. He'd never touch a dead human being. Number three, he would never drink any wine or any any fermented alcoholic beverages. These are just some of the vows that go with that thing of being the Nazarite. This was Samson's separation. He was not to marry up with any of the uh, people that was outside the, his own his own uh, people. This was the sign of his separation. But then finally, he told her the truth reluctantly, and his power was gone. You see, and his sin found him out. Well, there's a, Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Belshazzar committed a sin in the book of Daniel chapter five, and the stories going on over into Daniel uh, chapter uh, 6 and, and verse 27 and takes in those two chapters and it tells how that Belshazzar got drunk and, and he said, let's go out here and get the uh, vessels of God, these holy vessels that's dedicated unto God. Well, that would be like playing honky-tonk music on the uh, organ over here. That'd be like uh, using the bathroom in one of the offering plates. That's what he was doing. These these were things that were set aside for God's purpose and God's work. You say, Brother Jim, thank God there's nobody that wicked anymore. A few years ago in the other church building, some fella came out over there and out of hate for Victory Baptist Church and the ministry, he used our Baptistry as a bathroom. Uh, he wrote all kinds of vulgar words on the walls and on the on the uh, chalkboards and and left all kinds of ugly pictures scattered around mm-hmm. and 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 just just didn't try to steal anything just did a lot of ugliness to God's house. Some of the ladies were telling me this morning that uh, Jerry Falwell's program. Did you catch it? Anybody see Falwell's program today? Somebody said that the uh, Falwell was showing on there, uh, the atheist or somebody that's marching out in front of uh, uh, the church up in, in Virginia. One of those fellows marching out there carrying a cross with a dead frog nailed to that cross with a caption, He died for you. And it's like, folks, we would we, expect a man like Belshazzar to do what he did, but would you expect that kind of carrying on in Christian America? Oh, God help us. We need revival, folks. This nation needs revival. Now you say, Brother Jim, I don't agree with Jerry Falwell. There are some things Dr. Falwell does I don't agree with. But nobody's got a right to put a frog on a cross and make fun of my Savior without it touches me. You hear me? That's my Christ. That's not Jerry Falwell's Christ alone. That's my Christ he's belittling. There's folks there's folks right now in Bedford County that would jump for glee. If Victory Baptist Church went out of business, they'd shout. But the old Belshazzar took those cups, and he made a mockery of God. And God said in the sixth chapter of Daniel, verse 27, Thou art weighed in the balances and art found warning, mister. You've come up on the short end. You come up the loser. By the way, any time anybody thinks they can sin against God and come out the winner, they're believing a devil's lie. You don't win in sin. There's no winners in sin. Did you hear me? All that engage in sin are going to come up losers. Then there's Ahab, the man that was prompted by another, but yet he committed a sin. Ahab's sin was that he was envious of Naboth's vineyard. And he said he wanted that vineyard, and he went to Naboth and tried to buy it, and Naboth wouldn't sell that vineyard. He said, this is my inheritance that I've gotten from my daddy, and from his father, and from his father, and on by it until the time that we crossed over into the Jordan's land. And I, it's not for sale, mister. The scripture says that old Ahab came home, and he he pouted, and he turned his face toward the wall, and he acted like a little baby, and then it wasn't long till that old wicked harlotess Jezebel walked in and said, what's wrong with you? I want Naboth's vineyard. She said, well, you're the king, aren't you? And Mr. Anything that the king wants, the king ought to have. I disagree with that kind of philosophy. Let me talk to you a little bit about the kings and the political people of our day. I think that they ought to live right or not go into office. And this humanistic philosophy, you hear it all the time, you hear it all the time, uh, this fella gets drunk and comes South shan down some beach chasing a woman that's naked, and he's naked, and, and he's 93 years old, and, and then he gets up and says, I'm sorry, I've been a drunkard all my life, and I'm sorry, and I want to repent. And they say, well, all is well, then you go ahead and represent us. No, you don't do business like that and please God. Let me tell you about another fellow. He wasn't 93. He was like 33 he had a young lady in the car with him that he wasn't married to about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning drove her off in the I get messed up on that in a bay up here around Boston somewhere you know I'm talking about he drove her off in about 8 or 10 feet of water and about 8 or 10 hours later he says I lost my head and my car's at the bottom of that lake and, and there's a young lady down there I think And so they dive down, and sure enough, she's there, and they have a secret trial. I'm talking about uh, Mr. Ted Kennedy, who is a prime candidate for the Democrats next year, the presidential election. You just think about it, who are you going to vote for? I think I'd just soon to vote for a dog catcher. Now, that's my opinion. Now, you might have a different one, but that's my opinion. You say, oh, Brother Jim, we ought to forgive him. See, that's what's wrong with the American people. He got up and said, I'm sorry, I let her drown. I'm sorry, I lost my head. I won't do it anymore. Well, fella, if he lost his head because he had an automobile wreck, what if he looks up some of these days and sees the uh, ballistic missiles coming over from Russia? Is he going to keep a cool head under that? I mean, he just killed one woman and lost his head and went crazy for eight hours when millions of people are about to die. Are we going to trust the future of our nation into the hands of that kind of man? By the way, if we live in California, we lose our tax exemption because of what I just said. You say, Brother Jim, what are you saying? Are you against that man? I'm against his immorality. Yeah. Listen, I'm saying that if a man is going to represent me in the White House, he's going to represent me in Congress, he's going to represent me in the state legislature, then I'll walk back a like me. I don't want someone. Down there trying to make laws that's going to affect me and my family. Amen? And I believe that you ought to expect a preacher to live right. And we ought to expect a political leader to live right, too. have, she said, You're king. You can do any way you will, please. You don't have to answer to anybody. I've got news for you. Every political leader in this world is going to answer to somebody. And that somebody that they're going to answer to is the same person you and I are going to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, uh, she said to him, I'll, "I'll fix it up. I'll get some of my uh, men of Belial, worshippers of Baal. the 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 uh, let, 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 let me tell you who they were. They were the jet set. That's who they were." They were the free lovers of that day. That's who they were. They were the immoral crowd of that day. She said, I'll get some of them. We'll have a fast and we'll put Naboth up on the, on the high seat. And then uh, we'll, we'll, I'll just tell my men, tell some lies on him and says he blasphemes God and he blasphemes the king and then stoned him to death. They brought innocent men out to me and set him up, told their lies, took the man outside and stoned him to death. And, and they came back and old uh, Jezebel said, now Ahab, it's your vineyard. You want it? Go get it. Only one problem. There's a God in glory that was watching all that mess. And at the same time that uh, that, that Ahab started down to Naboth's vineyard to claim it, uh, God tapped old Elijah on the shoulder and said, Mr. Meet him. And you tell him, you tell him that you've seen the guilt of his sin. You tell him that the God of glory knows the wicked heart that posseates inside that man's chest. You tell him that I know the sting of his mind and I know the wickedness of his wife. And you tell him for me, Elijah, that the same place that the dogs lick Naboth's blood, they'll lick Ahab's blood. Now, you listen to what God says in, 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 in chapter 21 of First Kings, in verse 20. And Ahab said unto Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee. Boy, I like that, don't you? Because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Thou hast sold thyself. Mister, somebody else prompted you. Somebody else planned it. And you went along with it. And you're just as good. That's like the secret Gestapo of the church. Let's call a secret meeting, but let's don't invite the preacher. Bless your heart, you call secret meetings and don't invite the preacher. You better pray to high heaven the preacher don't find out about it. <laughs> because when that happens, I'm going to call some open meetings and we're going to put some fat in the fan. You say, Brother Tatter, what, are you a dictator? I'm not a dictator, I'm a pastor. There shouldn't be anything going on in a flock unless the shepherd knows about it. Boy. That might hit the fan already. I don't know. <laughs> but you listen to your preacher a minute. There's not a one of you men that would marry up a woman that's got two heads. You'd cut one of them off, and somebody would wish you'd cut the other one off, too. <laughs> and there's no, there's no, did, I saw a little calf one time, had two heads. You know what I think ought to have been done? to That little calf ought to have been killed. I don't think he'd been permitted to live. He was a monstrosity. And did you know a church that's got two heads is a monstrosity? Well, let that be what it's worth. Ahab was prompted by others to do sin. And he fell in there with them. And God said, Mister, you sold yourself to do evil in the sight of God, and I'm holding you accountable. Well, then there's, there's uh, Herod. Herod did sin against God because of a foolish promise. A little old gal got up and wiggled and twisted and danced in front of him. And he got all excited and said, boy, anything you want, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And she said, I, I want John the Baptist head on a platter. You know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? He said, none greater born a woman than John the Baptist. Let's picture old John. He's down inside the dungeon. Hadn't eaten a good meal in a long while. All of a sudden he looks up and hear, he hears the, the footsteps of some guards coming and clanging their heels against the stone as they march down the steps into that dungeon. And he looks out and here they come, got a big platter. Old John might have thought, boy, I'm going to get to eat tonight. They walked in, spreading all that old boy out and Took the Roman battle axe or the sword or whatever it was and severed his head from the body and picked up that blooding head, bleeding head, and placed it on that platter and brought it back up and opened it up and said, Here's your request. That's what the world thinks of a Bible preacher. That's what the world thinks about the people that want to live for God and serve God. Oh, they laugh and scoff and, and make all manner of fun. One of my men was telling me the other day said he was reading the Bible. And some fellow came up and started making fun of him and laughing at him and, and uh, said, boy, you really believe in that junk? said, man, how do you know if that's the truth? And he said, preacher, you know where I was reading? He said, I was reading over there in Peter where it said, this know that in the last days there shall come scoffers walking after their own lust. He said, how do I know this is the word of God? He said, mister, read the verse that I was reading when you started scoffing. He just he just showed it to him. He said, i to read it. He said, Let me read it to you. This know that in the last days there should come scoffers walking after their own lust, denying his coming. He said, all the other men laughed and he said that fellow just face turned red and he turned around and walked away. Amen. What a book. What a book. Well let's bring this down a little bit better. A foolish promise. A foolish promise. There used to be a teenager, uh, I was there the night, the teen- he was a little boy, and I was there the night he got saved. Matter of fact, I remember he got saved over here in the Robinson edition in a tent revival. A little bitty tight, just like so, and, and uh, but he, oh, that little fella had such a heart. He'd come forward night after night, and the time he'd get on his knees, he was just about the size of a big old basketball, all hunkered down there in the altar, and he was praying for his dad and mom and his brothers and sisters. That kid grew up and became a teenager, and Daddy and Mama never got saved, and Daddy and Mama never came to church, and just as soon as he got old enough, he stopped coming to church too. You know what that shows me? That shows me the example that moms and dads place before their children, way more important in the minds of those kids than the example that the church places before those children. Boy, I would to God that I could do it. Bobby, if I could raise kids for Christ, I'd raise every kid in this church for Christ. I'd raise every kid in the Robeson Dishon for Christ. But it's not God's will that I raise kids for Christ. It's God's will that I raise my kids for Christ. And it's God's will that you raise your kids for Christ. They'll follow your example. That boy reached a teenager. The rock quarry that's out on uh, what Sim's road is it? That road, not Sim, but you know that road down there toward your house uh, that turns to the right and goes off there. Uh, that boy was swimming in the rock quarry one night or one day and he'd been drinking quite drunk i understand uh, by the way before this happened he, he i would walk down the uh, he worked at a store here in town and i'd walk down the store aisle sometime he say, hello brother tater now my name's not brother tater you know it's not brother tater he knew it wasn't brother tater and he'd get a laugh out of that and he'd make fun of the preacher you say, Brother Jim, did it bother you? Not not a great deal. Not a great deal, but it does bother you. It does bother you when people, you know, kind of make fun of your name or something of that nature. But I could live with that. I could live with it. That boy was drunk now. He was on, uh, out here with some more friends, and one, one of the young ladies that was there, uh, I'm sorry, one of the young girls that was there said, I'll have sex with you if you'll swim all the way across that, rock quarry and come back. He's drunk now. Staggering drunk. That's what his friends thought about him. And the other said, yeah. I said, I'll give you a six-pack of beer if you'll do it. Old boy dived out in that water. They said he actually made it to the other side and got about halfway back. Cramps hit him in the stomach. That boy went down. About three hours later, they fished him off the bottom of the quarry. I went down here to the funeral home on, on North Main Street. I stood. And I looked in the face of that boy. Oh, he was red. Couldn't embalm him. Swollen face. Uh, big head like this. And I, I, just, I just looked and viewed his body. And I thought, oh, my soul, son. What you could have been if you hadn't allowed somebody to persuade you to do wrong. Amen. What you could have been. You started right. You started with a soft heart. You started in the will of God. I remembered that kid, folks. I remembered him when I would see him, a little bitty tight, down on his knees, praying for mom and daddy to get saved. What would have happened if mom and daddy had gotten saved? Let me tell you what happened to mom and daddy. They got divorced. That's what happened to them. Well, some people make foolish promises, and they get in trouble, but their sin finds them out. Some people, like Pilate... He betrayed Jesus. The Bible said in, in, in Mark fifteen fifteen. the Bible said that Pilate betrayed Jesus in order to gratify and satisfy public opinion. I'm going to do what everybody else is going to do, and boy, there's a lot of Pilates today. There's a lot of people like that man. Whatever the world does, that's what I'll do. Whichever course the world takes, that's the course I'll run. Whichever way the world heads, I'll be be—I'll just be right out there, right behind them, just digging to keep up with them. The styles of the world, that's what I want. Well, I like Lee Robertson. Lee Robertson wears, uh, I think it's wingtip shoes and uh, black and blue, double vested. Is that what you call it? Double vested? That the wrap around coat. uh, coats, double breasted, double breasted coats. He's worn them for 40 or 50 years, and that's all he ever wears. Styles come and go. Lee Robinson stays the same. Just stays the same. Just stays the same. I like that, don't you? I like a man that says, by the grace of God, I don't have to take out after the world. And I like young people that say, by the grace of God, I don't have to take out after the world. Gratifying public opinion. Some people sin like the Jews through ignorance. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. But they sinned nonetheless and they betrayed the Son of God. Their sins found them out. Listen to the preacher tonight. There's one thing. All these different sins that I've talked about. They are different. They're different. They're different. But there's one common denominator. There's one common factor in every one of their lives. Sin found Cain out, sin found Esau out, sin found Joseph, our brothers out, and sin found Achan out, and sin found Samson out, and sin found Belshazzar out, and sin found Ahab and Herod and Pilate and the Jews out. And the Bible says in the book of Numbers, chapter 32 and verse 23, the Bible said, be sure your sin will find you out. That's it. That's it. I said at the beginning of this message. Sin can be covered, but sin cannot be hid. In the book of Exodus, chapter twelve and verse thirteen, Jesus said, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I would to God this tonight that I could get this sermon over. Mike, God didn't say when I see your church membership, I'll pass over you. God didn't say when I see your good works, I'll look over your sin. God didn't say whenever I see that you're uh, trying to live right and keep the Ten Commandments, I'll pass over you. God said when I see the blood of a lamb, I'll pass over you. When I see the blood. God's placing something on my heart. I don't particularly want to do it and say it, but I'm going to say it because two times God's brought it to my mind as I stand here and I've got to, I've got to use it as a warning. I, uh, I'm thinking right now, Sister, you forgive me. I'm thinking right now about a young man, 20, 21, 21 years old. I look back there at his sister, and 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 I'm going to open up some wounds for her. I know I am. And I don't usually do this, and God knows I don't do this, and I don't do it unless God makes me do it. But tonight, he's going to be, I'm going to have to tell you. You remember Jimmy Smith. All of you remember Jimmy. Most of you do anyway. And uh, Jim was killed in an automobile wreck. But one year to the day, to the day, he was coming back from, I think, uh, Grand Ole Opry, Opryland or someplace, had a wreck. Jim was in the hospital. Uh, his girlfriend didn't know for a long time whether she's going to live or not. And, and, and uh, I remember I went up there and I visited with Jimmy Smith. And I said, Jimmy, God's got a will for you, boy. He's 20 then, wasn't he? 20 years old when that happened. Yes, Brother Jim, I know he has. And he said, just as soon as I get up and get out of this hospital bed, I'm going to get back in church and I'm going to get back in God's will and I'm going to get back serving the Lord like a young man ought to serve the Lord. Jimmy came back a few times, but then there was the pull. Same pull on him that some of you kids right now experience There was the pull. There was that other crowd that wouldn't leave him alone. And Jim, like some of you, didn't have the power to turn them down. And he went over in their camp. You remember, don't you, Don? One year ago, one year later, very night, almost the exact hour, out here on Lane Parkway, at the age of 21 years old, Jimmy Smith was tragically taken to heaven. And I say taken to heaven because Jimmy made a good profession. But Jimmy never lived for God the way he wanted him to live. I believe the young man's life was cut short. I believe that had he served God better, had he stayed in God's, had he done what the Crusaders sung about this morning, thy perfect will, O God, then things would have been better. See, it's not some Belshazzar I'm talking about. It's a little boy that drowned in Bedford County. It's a young man that was killed in an automobile wreck. Let me say it again. You can't say sin unless you hear the hiss of the serpent. You can't look at the word sin unless you see the shape of the snake. And you can't write it on a piece of paper unless you see a big eye right in the middle of it. And you know what? That pretty much sums up the word sin, doesn't it? The hiss of the serpent, the shape of the serpent, and I'm right in the middle of it. The biggest enemy that Jim Tetter has is himself. I am my worst enemy. Amen.